pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. On Monday uh, this week, Monday is usually my day off, and I'm with my two youngest daughters. And so uh, it was a day like today, a beautiful day, a sunny day, and we decided to go to the park. Before we went to the park, we had to stop off at the grocery store and get a couple of things. And when we pulled into the grocery store, we pulled next to a pickup truck. And on the side of this pickup truck was a sign that kind of shocked me for a second. It said, Grave Digger. That's not a sign you want to see on a beautiful sunny day. (laughs) And um, I thought to myself, if I was a grave digger, I think I would use a temporary sign so that I could take the sign away after I was done with my work and drive off and so people wouldn't have to see grave digger on the side of my truck. But that's sort of our natural, I think, response to the reality of the grave, of of death. Put it out of sight, out of mind. We, We don't want to think about it. But the Bible doesn't let us get away with that. The Bible calls us to face up to our mortality. And in our Old Testament readings, the Bible speaks about death. We see in Deuteronomy chapter 34, an account of the death of Moses. Just as the people of Israel are getting ready to go into the promised land, he dies on the edge of the promised land. And then in Psalm 90, and I'll be preaching from Psalm 90, that's on page 8 in your bulletin, so you might want to just keep that open. We have, the scripture tells us that this is actually Moses' psalm. This is a prayer of Moses. And maybe Moses was composing this just at the end of his life. We don't know that, but it's reasonable to think that that might be the possibility that he composed this at the end of his life, reflecting on the faithfulness of God, and the transitory nature of life as he nears life's end. So maybe you feel like I do right now when I saw that gravedigger sign. I don't really want to think about this today on this beautiful sunny day. But Moses says in Psalm 90 that actually if we meditate on the fact that our days are numbered, we can gain a heart of wisdom. It's actually very wise to think and reflect on this. Verse 12 He prays, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And in the Bible, wisdom is lining yourself up with what is true, with what is real. It is lining yourself up with the truth about God's world, about who we are, and about who God is, and then walking in that wisdom. Wisdom in the Bible is very practical and should influence how we think about life and how we live our life. And so Moses is saying, in light of the fact that our our life is fleeting, God help us to reflect on that so that we might live a wise life. The starting point is to just face up to the reality that our days are numbered. And Moses uses several images in this psalm to get the point across. He says uh, about our days on earth, about our mortal life, he says in um, in verse 5, it's like a flood, our days. You sweep them away as with a flood. 
And we've all seen images of floods, haven't we? Hurricanes, tsunamis, rivers that are swollen, overfilled, and they crash into a town or a village and they can wipe everything away in an instant. And he's saying that's what our life is like in, in view of eternity. It's like a flood. It can go that quickly, be swept away like that. They are like a dream, he says, a distant, a distant memory. A dream so, seems so real and fresh at the time, but then when you wake up, it just sort of lingers and it's sort of a distant thought oftentimes. And then how about this again in verse 5 and 6? How about this imagery for a, a metaphor of the cycle of life? Like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. Youth. The vigor of youth. But in the evening it fades and it withers. Moses says it's wise for us to meditate on this truth that life is fleeting and it goes fast. Now, of course, our culture doesn't want us to think too quickly or too, or too much about this. Our culture wants us to buy products that make us think this isn't reality. And then the, the, you've seen these glossy magazines. I got one this week in my mailbox of all the different tricks and trades and, and techniques to get rid of your wrinkles, to trim the things that need to be trimmed, to give you vigor and youthfulness once again. To fight gravity. <laughs> we, want our, we want time to stand still. Better yet, we want to go back to the flourishing days. But Moses says it's wise to face the facts. Our life flourishes for a season, then it begins to fade, and then it withers. And that's humbling. And that's why we don't like to face it, I think. To face the fact that we're creatures that live under a creator and his rule. Moses teaches us in this psalm, and we don't have much of it here. If you notice, we, we skipped about six verses there. Um, the middle part of this psalm tells us why we're in this predicament, why life goes so fast and why we die. And it's because of God's judgment on sin. That's the reason. That's why we, we are in this, um, this position. Um, when Adam and Eve sinned, God said to dust from dust you came, to dust you shall return. So sin is, or death is rather, God's judgment for sin. Because sin is moving away from God. God is the source of life. And when we cut ourselves off from God, we die. And God says, in light of your sin, Adam and Eve, your days are numbered. And so is, uh, are the days of your posterity. And that's us. We, uh, as sinners, stand under the judgment of God. And part of that judgment is death. But the good news... The good news is that God does not leave us there in judgment, in fear, alone. And so Paul, or Paul rather, Moses, begins this psalm with a great truth. Verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. He says, yes, life is transitory. Life goes fast. Our days are numbered. But as we face up to this fact, we need to turn and face God who is our dwelling place. And this God is eternal. Moses is saying God is our home. God is our dwelling. Our dwelling is not a, 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 a physical place so much as it is a person, the person of God. And think about how comforting that was probably to Moses to think about that fact. 
if he did indeed write this on the edge of the promised land and God did not permit him to go into the promised land. The people of Israel are going to the place that God promised. Moses isn't going to go with them. But he says, you know what? The ultimate place is not land. The ultimate place is the person. You are our dwelling place, O God. You are, as we sing in that wonderful hymn that sums up this whole psalm and really my sermon at the beginning, the processional hymn, you are our eternal home, O God. And Moses is thinking about that as he writes this psalm. God is eternal, verse 2, before the creation of anything, before the mountains were brought forth, Forever you form the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. God is eternal before the world. Look at verse four speaks to the eternity of God and how time is relative from the perspective of God. Moses knew something Einstein proved a lot, a lot of many years later. But Moses knew that time was relative from the perspective of God. Verse four for a thousand years in your sight, but are but yesterday when it's past, or as a watch in the night. And this is the God who's called us into relationship with him. He's our shelter. Moses discovered that in life. It says in our passage in Deuteronomy that the Lord knew him face to face, that he had an intimate relationship with God so that he could trust God. And he developed this relationship and it's wisdom as we grow older to grow in our relationship with God because we're headed towards home. We're headed towards home. We're headed towards God. And it's wise to begin to reflect on that and to grow as we grow older in our relationship with him, to get to the point to say, God, my times are in your hands. My life is in your hands. Whether I live or whether I die, I am yours. Whether I live or whether I die, nothing can separate me from your love. That's eternal. And so there's a security in that that Moses is voicing here in this psalm, even as he reflects on the truth that our days are numbered. And that's wisdom, to look to God for eternal security. But there's more wisdom in this psalm. Now, this psalm kind of takes an interesting turn. At the beginning, it's about the passing of time. But then towards the end, it's about using our time that we have left, using it wisely and asking the Lord to bless the days that we have on this earth. Yes, time is fleeting, but, but Moses isn't saying now we're just going to resign we're just going to ride off into the sunset of quiet resignation no there is still life to live and there's still work to be done and so he asked god for blessings on the day that remains on the days that remain he he asked god for the blessing of joy and gladness look at verses 14 and 15 satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad All our days, he's asking God for joy and gladness in the remaining days of his life. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. How can we be glad all of our days when we see the evil going on in the world today? How can we experience joy and gladness when we see um, every day in the headlines? We have terrorism, we have ISIS, we have Ebola all the bad news and all the evil in the world. How can we be people of joy and gladness in the face of that? Well, the answer is in verse 14. God, let us know your steadfast love. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Help us to know that even in the midst of these difficulties, you are a loving and good God to us. 
It's talking about the covenant love of God, that this God who is eternal has promised to be with these people. And we can say that as Christians. And then there's this plea that, that God would sort of balance the scales. We've seen a lot of evil. We've seen a lot of affliction. We've seen a lot of bad stuff. God, would you balance the scales? Would you give us as much gladness as we've seen evil? And we know as Christians that God is going to balance the scales. That, that a day is going to come when Christ returns, that the world will be set to rights. And, and in fact, it's not so much a balancing of the scales that we see in the New Testament. It's the scales going to tip over because the glory that is to come is going to far exceed the suffering that we've seen and experienced in this life. Isn't that good news? That we believe in that promise Paul writes about in Romans 8.18. I consider that the sufferings of this present life are nothing compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. The scale is going to flip over because there's going to be so much glory that we can't even imagine in this life. So Moses is asking God to bless his people with, with the joy that comes from knowing these things. And that's a prayer that we need to pray, that God would bless us with a renewed sense of his gladness and joy. And that the people of God, us, might be characterized as people of joy. It's good for us to be joyful. It's good for us to be glad together. It's good for us to smile, and it's okay to smile in church. And it was fun the other night at the Moore's house to celebrate and to be kind of silly and to sing songs around a campfire and to celebrate life. It's good because God is good, even in the midst of difficulty. The people of God ought to be a sign of, of joy and gladness in the world, so much so that when people come into our midst, they say, what are you guys so happy about? <laughs> what are you taking? What are you on? Don't you read the news? Don't you see what's out there? Yeah, but we also know God. We know the eternal God. We know we've experienced his steadfast love. He is our home. He is our dwelling place. He's our safety. And we can cry with those who cry and weep with those who weep and suffer with those who suffer. But that's not the end of the story. We're living another story, and we want you to be part of it too. So that's the hope. That's what we have to offer the world. Isn't that good? And then he prays something else. He asks another blessing that I think is a great prayer for our church at this moment in the history of Church of the Resurrection. He prays about future generations. Verses 16 and 17. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. And your glorious power to their children. And let the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses is saying, God, you've called us as your people. You've called us to this. You've called us out of Egypt. You've, you've set us free. You've delivered us. You've led us. Now we're on the edge of the promised land. And we, your people, your servants, we need to, to see something fresh. We need a fresh awareness of your goodness and of your glorious power and of your favor in our life. And that's a prayer we need to pray. God has called this church. God has called us. We've used this metaphor before, this analogy. God has called us out of Egypt as a church a few years ago, out of a denomination that had turned its back on the Scripture. And God led us out, and God has led us to this place. And now we should pray along with, with Moses, God, give us a fresh awareness 
of your glory and your power right now. That's what we need as a church. In our life individually, a fresh awareness of God's glory and power. In our life together, in our worship together, a fresh awareness and realization of the presence and power of God that he is with us. And then we can go. Remember a couple of weeks ago, or was it just last week? Last week we looked at Moses' prayer. If you don't go with us, we're not going. I'm not going, God. You have to go with us. We need you with us. And that's our prayer today. So it's not so much about programs. We need programs and we need plans, but we need the presence of God most of all. And we have fresh realization of his power. So he asked for that, for the servants, the people that are with him. But then he prays for the generation to come. May your glorious power be known to the children. Establish the work of our hands so that the next generation will know what you've done here. And we should pray that prayer too. God has given us a great work to establish an Anglican church here in this neighborhood, in this community, to be a biblical, gospel, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, sacramental Anglican church, bringing all that together. It's a unique witness for the city of St. Louis. And we should be praying, God, would you establish this work for generations to come? It's exciting that we're on the ground floor of something that could affect people in this neighborhood for generations if the Lord tarries and doesn't return. I think that's exciting. So that what we're doing now, and only God knows what the future holds, but if he blesses this work, what we're doing now will change people's lives and families and indeed the world. It'll make a difference in the world and in the kingdom for generations. The time that we have here, the participation, our ministry, our our efforts to love one another and to show the love of Christ, our time, our talent, our treasure that we give, that we sow into this. God is working and we pray that he will bless it and establish it so that the children, the children will know God in a way that we've known God. And we need to invest in children and in children's ministry, but that's another sermon for another day. That's got to become a priority for us if we want this prayer to be fulfilled. God has done a work in our generation. What about the next generation? How are we thinking about the next generation? And of course, personally, as moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles, that's our responsibility, isn't it? To teach the next generation, to teach our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and our nephews and our neighbor friends. How about Psalm 71? This is a good psalm for the for uh, seasoned saints. Psalm 71, so even to old age, Lord, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation and your power to those who will come. Don't forsake me, God, in old age. Give me enough strength to proclaim your gospel to another generation. I remember Victor, this is going kind of off track here, but Victor, some of us know Victor, he died at 100 years old. He was this dear saint in our church. And he would say to me after a sermon like this, I wish I had the vigor. I wish I had the strength to go out and proclaim the gospel. And, and, and that's the spirit that we need. So Moses is telling us, uh, face up to the fact that time here goes fast. But when you face up to the fact, turn and face God. God is our eternal security. With God, there is gladness and joy in our days. There's meaning in our work. There's significance. With God, there's hope. And as Christians, we know this so clearly because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
I want to close with this story. Joe Bailey, who wrote a kind of a classic book on death, meditating about just the brevity of life. Joe Bailey uh, was a, um, a writer and an editor, and he had three sons that preceded him in death. So he, he knew about grief and sorrow and loss, and he had spent a lot of time thinking about death and eternity. And he wrote this book called The Last Things We Talk About. And he, he talks about one day in the middle of winter in the Chicago area in January going out to his mailbox. And have you ever done this where you see the mail truck come and you just leave the house and you don't think about maybe bundling up like you should? Well, that's what he did. He just went out into the cold, trudged through the, a foot of snow to get to the mail, and he was just going to run back into his house. But he opens up the mailbox and he said, um, when I open up the mail, I saw on the bottom under the letters was, you gardeners will appreciate this, the Burpee Seed Catalog. And on the front are these bright zinnias, and on the back are these you know, beautiful red tomatoes. And he said, for a few moments I was oblivious to the cold as I leafed through the catalog, tasting corn and cucumbers, smelling roses. For those brief moments I was living in springtime and summer, winter was past. I got back into the house, and he said, and I reflected how that's like our experience as Christians. We feel the cold, along with those who don't share our Christian hope. But in our cold times, we have a seed catalog. We open it and we smell the promised spring. The first fruits that settle our hope is Jesus Christ, raised from cold death to eternal glory. That's the truth. That's our hope. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Wisdom in looking to you, God, as our eternal home. Wisdom in looking to you for blessing in the life that we have left. Give us wisdom in putting our hope in your risen Son, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's take a moment just to just reflect a little bit more and, and pray. Lord, we thank you for this psalm that contains a lot of wisdom for us as we live our days in this, uh, in this life. We know that our days are numbered, but we also know that you've called us to a, a great work. And we pray along with Moses this ancient prayer, establish the work of our hands so that your glory might be known through many generations. And we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity of serving you in this generation. And we pray, God, that you would draw us ever closer to you so that you would be our dwelling place, that we would sense your um, nearness to us and your love for us as we look to your son Jesus Christ. I pray that in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.